Daniel chapter 1 is where we're going to be tonight, and uh, we'll stand as we open, open the scripture and read. Daniel chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he, brought, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace." and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. And we'll stop our reading there. Um, Just a reminder from last time, we looked at two areas that the enemy is attacking and targeting us, and one of those areas is the enemy's targeting our faith. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylon, they went into the temple, they took the vessels that represented God and they stole them and took them back to Babylon into the house of their God as a way of saying, um, we are stronger than your faith in your God. We'd stolen stolen these vessels. The other uh, target that we see here is they took the younger generation um, from, from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon in order to indoctrinate them and change their mind about their gods. About their God. Nebuchadnezzar knew that bringing a cultural revolution would actually have more impact than just a military siege. A military siege we know would be effective because it, it is attacking uh, the physical freedom of, of a country. But even more importantly than that, a cultural siege targets the heart. And it's possible to have a military bind a nation but not get their hearts and still be in trouble because as that nation rises up, then the one that's in control is in trouble. But if you can change their hearts, if you can affect their thinking and on a heart level, then the battle is lost. And tonight I'd like to just dig a little more on the thought that the enemy is targeting the next generation. And uh, in some ways I thought, well, this might be more of a message to parents. But I I believe it is a message to parents. But I also believe it's a message to anybody that that has a heart for the next generation. And, And so you say, well, I'm not a parent. Okay, do you have a heart for the next generation? Then this message is for you. And so I believe then it applies to it applies to every person in the room tonight. So I appreciate you standing. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you. As I said last time, we're in a battle. This is a cage match between God's kingdom and the world's culture. And 
Unfortunately, in my mind, too many um, that represent the kingdom have submitted to the culture. We really should be reflecting the kingdom, but in many ways too much we are reflecting the culture. We've allowed a reprogramming to take place. And if we don't resist the reprogramming, then what chance do our children have of standing against that reprogramming? That's the thought tonight, is, is a reprogramming is taking place. Uh, Daniel and his friends have been enrolled in this intense, what we find out, it's an intense three-year program designed to change their loyalties from Jehovah uh, to Babylon, to their gods. And so we must, we've got to put ourselves in Daniel's shoes and consider what he's dealing with. He's been raised by, in Judah by godly parents. We assume that based on his name, Daniel, which means God is my judge. And the fact that then he was knowledgeable of and committed to his faith as a teenager with no parents around. So you wonder, well, I don't know if he was raised by godly parents or not. Um, how many young people do you know that could be in this situation um, taken to a different country, not allowed to worship their God, and yet be so committed to their God that they refuse to bow to the new gods even at the risk of their own life. So he was clearly raised in a way that, that, the, that Jehovah was elevated. Jehovah was, was his God and he was taught to worship Jehovah. And even though Daniel had been raised in Judah though, his experiences living there were inconsistent spiritually based on who he saw as an example. Uh, he'd watched godly examples of leadership probably in his own home and, and then godly examples at times of kings there in Judah. But he'd also seen many ungodly examples of leadership in Judah. Josiah was one of the kings that would have been there uh, probably at the be during Daniel's lifetime, toward the beginning of his life. Then Josiah had been a wonderful king that led Judah to a spiritual reformation. He cleaned up the idolatry. He reinstated the Passover. But he was eventually killed in battle against Babylon. And his sons that he handed the throne to did nothing to help the kingdom be godly. In fact, only four years after King Josiah's death, he died in 609 BC. Four years later, in 605, Babylon captured Judah, carried away, jo or captured Judah, uh, besieged Jehoiakim, his son, and carried away many of the of the finest young people in the land. That would include Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were think about it. They were removed from their homes. I mean, these were teenagers removed from their homes. Their parents, we don't know for sure, but their parents may have, and in many cases, likely would have been killed in front of them. They were taken from their homes. They were brought into a country in which they didn't even know the language. They were taken, uh, they were stripped of their identities um, that connected them to God. They were given new names. They were not allowed to worship their God. In fact, they were, they were uh, threatened uh, in, in such a way that they better worship the new gods or they would be killed. And you say, well, this is so cruel. I, I can't believe that God would do this to the nation of Israel, but I want you to understand Remember where the Lord is coming from. He had forsaken idolatry. I'm sorry, he had commanded them for, to forsake idolatry. He had told them time and time again um, to follow his covenant and be loyal to him. And they committed, listen, they committed spiritual adultery against their God. By following idols, they were leaving their God and, and being unfaithful to him with idols that couldn't speak, that couldn't answer their prayers, that couldn't hear them. 
Uh, we, could, we could see over and over in the prophets in the book of Isaiah and others that, that, I, that, that God was, was, he told them and he gave them chances. He, he even gave them, like we heard the song tonight, he gave them time after time, chance after chance to repent of their sin and they went right back to it. And God said, if you don't turn, in Isaiah 39, he basically said, if you don't turn, I will besiege you, you'll be captives for 70 years. And listen, God doesn't go back on his word. If he says it, it's going to happen. They had offended God to the point that he spoke judgment and it came to pass. They'd been warned countless times of judgment for their idolatry and they ignored it. So God raised up this enemy from Babylon, led by King Nebuchadnezzar. He marched into Judah. He carried them away. It was not Daniel's fault. It wasn't Daniel's friend's fault. This was the fault of the previous generations. This pattern went back for hundreds of years, but, but Daniel and his generation were the one that suffered for it. You know, be careful of assuming that your patterns have no bearing on the next generation. Amen. And parents, we've got to be careful. Our, our entertainment habits, we think it won't impact them. Our entertainment habits, um, that, that is something that we've got to be mindful of, especially with media today and entertainment that's out there. Our children will be dealing with the entertainment habits they see us involved in for the rest of their lives. Uh, um, don't be careful of thinking that that your commitment to the things of God is not going to impact your children. They're watching how committed we are to our Lord. They're watching how committed we are to serving God and being in His house. And and, and don't think that your attitude um, toward things of God and toward the people of God. Don't think that your attitudes have no bearing on your children. It's amazing to me how if, if I have an attitude about something, it doesn't take long for my children to have the same attitude. I'm like, where did that come from? And then it's like um, the Lord holds up a mirror and say, you, it's your fault. You know, it may not be their sin, but they could deal with repercussions. And, and listen, I think that's going to happen to the next generation of Christians in the, in the very near future. This generation of young people, there's been a pattern. And I'm not saying it's a pattern here, but I, I do believe this is a pattern for everybody at some point. There's been a pattern of complacency among God's people for quite some time. And it will be our children who suffer for our lukewarmness. You know, and, I, and I'm not sitting here just pounding on you. I'm saying in general, would you say that our country is, is, is more full of committed Christians now than it was 50 years ago? No, I, I think if we all were honest, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying that this is true of every church, but if, I think if we were all honest, the trend line, if you're looking at it, the trend line is doing this. And as we move forward in time, the trend line for committed Christians is going down. And it's being watered down. It's the, the expectations are low. Uh, people aren't committed uh, to church. They're not committed to God's word. They're not committed to holiness. They're not committed to any of the things that, that a previous generation used to be. 
And God showed mercy to Josiah because he was a righteous king. But as soon as he was off the scene, here comes Jehoiakim and his sons. It only took, in Eliakim, it only took four years. And here comes Nebuchadnezzar. He captures Judah and enslaves them for 70 years. And it was that captivity that had Nebuchadnezzar uh, targeting the next generation of young people. And I I just want to look tonight. It's a simple thought, but uh, how the uh, reprogramming takes place. And how did he target the next generation? How did he go after Daniel and his friends? What was he doing to reprogram? Now, and so I'm just going to use this as an illustration. If you've ever programmed something, then you know how complicated it can be sometimes. If you've ever, if you've ever tried to set up a cell phone, now you do it, they just kind of do it for you. And, you know, back in our day, kids... Like you had to spend four years on an island by yourself with an instruction manual trying to figure out how to get a cell phone to work. Let's just talk about, I don't know, maybe like a remote control. Okay, a remote control, in order to buy one, you have to show your PhD. Because you've got to program it. You know, and so you, you, you get something like a remote control and you're trying to program it and you follow these. It's a very clear set of instructions. And if you don't do it in the right order, it's probably not going to work and probably it'll, your air conditioner will break down or something just as a repercussion of you hitting the wrong button on your remote control. No, the re, like, things like that, there's a, a programming that takes place and it has to be done in a certain order. There are certain things that are required for something to be programmed and, and I think we've all done that. We've all tried to follow instructions. We've all tried to program something. Well, did you know that, that this wicked culture, the worldly culture, is trying to reprogram a generation? And they're, and they're doing it the same way that, that Daniel's, uh, the culture Daniel was against was doing it to him. Let me, I just want, to see, want you to see these things. Reprogramming first, it seeks to separate one generation from the other. It seeks to separate one generation from the other. Look at verse 3. The king spoke unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. Understand, Nebuchadnezzar told Ashpenaz, he said, I want you to go and I want you to choose the select young people. And he doesn't say, I want you to bring the children and their parents. I want you to bring the princes and their parents. I want you to bring the king's seed and the king. No, he said, just bring the children. Only bring the young ones. And and the idea here is that Nebuchadnezzar knew if he was going to reprogram a generation, he had to remove the children from the parents. And he had calculated this plan and said, we've got to get the children away from the influence of their parents. He was taking away the influence of the previous generation and allowing them to only spend time around their peers and around Babylonian culture. Try to think about the parallels. He was trying to get them away from their parents and have them spend only time around their peers and the worldly culture. And I can't help but think how much this is happening in so many ways, uh, even today. And I'm going to talk about something that, that some might think is controversial, but, uh, but the transgender movement, for instance. You know, the transgender movement is trying to make it so a teacher or a school can help a young person transition whether or not their parents know about it. 
And the, the, the school system in California, as Brother Paul even mentioned this, they recently passed a law uh, to, to make it possible to send parents to prison if they are not affirming of their child's decision to, to transition from one gender to the next. And what is the culture doing? The culture is trying to remove children from the influence of their parents and surround them with their peers and surround them with a godless culture at a public school apart from their parents' influence. It's happening right now. You know, we're seeing this exact same thing happen. There's been a deliberate movement to separate children from parents. It's happening in public education especially. But we have to care, be careful not to let it happen under our own noses. You know, it can happen. You, you think, well, you know, bless God, I, you know, I don't want to send my kids to public school. Um, it can happen in a homeschool family. It can happen in a Christian school family. A parent doesn't have to be physically separated from children to lose influence. No, listen, too many homes have absent parents and they're all living under the same roof. Meaning that dads give their best time and their best energy and their best focus to their jobs. And too many dads come home and they unwind down their phones. They spend very little time conversing with their kids. Listen, we can all be guilty of this, but how is that any different than letting culture separate us? We're still absent. Moms can do the same thing. I know uh, too many moms are on social media and they're scrolling Facebook and Instagram while the kids are being entertained by by a worldly-minded studio. You know, and we're under the same roof, but, but how is it any better? It, it's sad that the culture is working to separate children from the influence of their parents, but it's even worse that parents are allowing a separation of influence by their own choices. We can't be too critical of public education creating a rift if we're doing it on our own by being absent parents in our own homes. You know, I, under this point, I said, don't let Disney Plus raise your children. Man, it's a good point. I won't, go, I won't keep going. I have like four pages of notes under that. But <laughs> reprogramming is trying to separate parent, or children from their parents' influence. Sure. If reprogramming is going to take place, it doesn't just take place in a vacuum of influence. No, reprogramming also involves replacing old influences with new ones. Yeah. Look, at, look at verse 4. It says, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding and uh, science and, and, uh, and such as had ability and then to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Listen, their education was replacing the one true God with false ones. They were, they were actively going after their brains. They were actively going after them in order to re-educate them. Babylon was the center of knowledge. It was the Mecca of education in its day. They were experts at education. They were experts at reprogramming. And there are those that believe that they were training these young men to actually be sages in the Babylonian religion, that they were teaching them omens and incantations and prayers and hymns. It was like pagan Bible college. And if that's the case, it was a good thing that some of these young men had been raised right by parents that served the one true God because they would have all been quickly snatched up by that new false religion. I mean, but it's not like they hadn't seen false religion embraced by many in their own nation. This wasn't completely foreign to them. They had watched people all around them. Some may have come from homes in which their parents were worshiping idols. 
So it wouldn't have been too far of a stretch for them to then jump in with both feet into this new false religion. By the way, this is the issue with raising our children with a half-hearted commitment to the Lord, if we have that. See, it likely won't show up while they're at home. Now, it could, and, and, and sometimes we have to deal uh, with, with our choices and their impact on our children, but, it, but if, if, you are, if you're raising your children and you have a half-hearted commitment to the Lord, which none of us are perfect, we all go through seasons, um, that, that likely won't show up while they're at home, but as soon as they leave home, and especially if they go to um, a, a university with little accountability, and mom and dad are no longer around, then that is when it will start to be obvious that they are duplicating the model they, wa- they watched growing up. So dads, your unwillingness to put the Lord above work once a month is likely to impact your sons to a great degree. One service a month, you say, that's all. Well, that, for us, one service a month is not a big deal. But for our children who do what we do in moderation, they do in excess for our children. One service a month for us may become one service a week for our children. And sitting in a pew and having no, no place to serve and not committed to serving in any way for us may equal no church at all for our sons and daughters. Inconsistent Bible reading for me right now, it may not be a huge deal, but, but it could very easily inter- equal no interest in God's word for my son when he becomes an adult. You know, I know they make their own choices, but let's give them an example to aspire to. You know, they, they will very likely come in at a lower level than we are. Now, I hope that's not the case. I, I hope that the next generation of the Eastside Baptist Church far surpasses what we have seen and what we have done. That's what we're all praying for. But if the trends are true, if we're coming in here, the chances are second generation Christians are coming in here or down. And so it's not time to lower the bar to make it easier. No, let's raise the bar to inspire them to something better and something greater. Fortunately, Daniel and his friends must have had wonderful examples because they weren't willing to compromise. A Baldwin um, commentator said this about the situation. He said, to begin to study Babylonian literature was to enter a completely alien thought world. These young men from Jerusalem's court needed to be secure in their knowledge of the Lord to be able to study this literature objectively without allowing it to undermine their faith. Evidently, and I love this, evidently the work of Jeremiah and Zephaniah and Habakkuk had not been in vain. Meaning that they had heard the prophets, they had read what they said, they had listened, they had let it impact their lives. And so then when they got out from under their parents' influence and somebody tried to replace what they believed with something of lesser value, no, they were able to say, no, I, I know authenticity. I know what's true. I know what's real because I heard Jeremiah's message and I, I, I read what Habakkuk wrote and I know what Zephaniah preached and I will not let this false religion coming in undermine the faith that has been established in my life. You know, it's clear that Nebuchadnezzar was targeting their minds and he wanted to change the way they thought. And if the culture has, has enough influence, it will change the mindsets of our children. It does. And we've got to teach our children how to think biblically about the important issues and issues that you and I never thought would be issues like transgenderism. 
We've got to teach them how to articulate their position on something like abortion or homosexuality or even socialism or social justice and how to balance all of that. Listen, I'm all for biblical love, but to be tolerant of sin is not love. But there's almost a fear now in our culture that if you speak out against what somebody else believes, you're going to get canceled. But listen, true love doesn't care about being canceled. True love means that you speak the truth in love rather than trying to be accepting of sin. And the woke agenda is affecting the next generation. It is. It's impacting their thought processes. So be careful, parents. Balance the culture's mindsets by communicating a biblical worldview at home. It's not just the church's responsibility. And I, and I believe this with all my heart. I believe that the most important lessons of articulation when it comes to the important um, issues in their lives, the, the, that time, the best time to train is not in Sunday school. It's around the kitchen table. And that you as a dad know how to articulate what's wrong with these issues and help your children understand them because they're going to be bombarded. And dads, you have a responsibility to help them know how to view these things. Moms, you have to help your children know how to articulate our positions on these things from a biblical worldview. Don't just lean on the church to do it. Don't just lean on Brother Samuel to do it. No, no figure out how to articulate it. And, and get past that awkward communication phase around the table and just talk about those things. It's not just our responsibility here, although we're going to do our best, but, but parents, you have a lot more time with your children. We get three or four hours a week. Reprogramming, so it involves a removal from one generation to the next. It involves a replacement of, of a mindset. It also, repro reprogramming involves changing the language. It, it, it alters communication. Look at verse 4 again. It says at the end, in whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. So they were literally teaching them a different language. They were learning Aramaic and Neo-Babylonian, which was the formal and legal language of Babylon, those two languages. The world was trying to replace everything about serving God right down to the words they were using. And it's amazing how much the world tries to sound like Christ. How much the world tries to change the language. People try to talk about God, but, but God can mean just about anything these days. I mean, you talk about Oprah and, uh, you know, somebody like Oprah that has, for some reason, has lots of influence. You know, and I, I mean, I don't listen to talk shows and all of that, but... But here's Oprah on TV. She's talking about God. You know what she says, her own words. You know what she says she feels like God is? That God is a feeling experience, not a believing experience. So in her mind, God is not a person. God is an emotion. But she'll talk about God. But she's not talking about your God and my God. You know, it's a different God. And uh, that's what, uh, you know, God, the, the Hindus will, will use the word God, little g, but it's one of millions. The cults will say Jesus, but he isn't God to the cults. See, even the language is becoming confused. And that's no surprise because Satan has tried to confuse the words from the very beginning, even in the Garden of Eden, when he came in to, to Eve, he said what? Yea, hath God said. What did he do? He attacked God's words. 
He's trying to go after the language. And he's doing it in such a way that it seems close enough that it's right. And in, in 2 Corinthians 11 says, No marvel, for Satan himself is, is transformed into an angel of light. I mean, he does that. He's very good at looking the part and looking close enough to tear down our ability um, to discern between what's true and what's not. And he starts to replace the words, replace the language. There's a reprogramming of words taking place. There's a redefining of words taking place. It's happening and people are redefining what words, what we thought they used to mean. They don't mean that anymore. Reprogramming also involves a change of appetite. A change of appetite. Look at verse 5. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. He was trying to get them to have a hankering for wine and meat. Hankering's a good southern word, by the way. You know, that would have been appealing. A, a diet of sweet-tasting wine and, and meat. It would be like, okay, do you want to go to Carnival or do you want a salad? You know, well, it's an easy choice for, so if you're, if you don't eat meat, I'm not trying to, I mean, I'm just saying for most of us, carnival, for sure. The problem was this was an attempt not to just change what they ate, but to change how they were living. Meaning that some meats were not allowed to be eaten by the Jews. Not only that, meat offered to idols was not allowed to be eaten by the Jews at that point. They also were not to engage, and no matter what you hear from everybody else in modern Christianity, they were not to engage in drinking intoxicating drink. This was clearly alcoholic in nature. And, and so the culture is really good at trying to change the appetites of our young people. They're trying to get them to have a, a desire for something that they, that they wouldn't even know they wanted before. I mean, you think about the way that the world so expertly uses advertisement to get us to want something. Some kids, you know, have this a real desire and latch on to this. The, they enjoy the things of the world. It's amazing how just a little taste of the world builds an appetite for worldly things. You know, and kids, I remember when our kids were little... And they would, watch, they would watch these commercials, infomercials on, on a Cubo or whatever channel they were watching. And it was just cartoons and it was, it, there was nothing. Like even now you could watch a kid's program and have advertisement you're just embarrassed by. It's, it's shameful. But this was a kid's show with kid's advertisement. But they would watch these commercials and they would watch the infomercials. They loved infomercials. Olivia and Audrey especially. And they, they would... They, they would be some revolutionary product and they would run up, you know, they could change your life. They'd come like, Mom, it's a blanket with sleeves. <laughs> Talking about the Snuggie, of course, which changed the world. It, it keeps you warm, but it gives you the freedom to use your hands so you can work the remote or you can read a book in total warmth and comfort. Like they would come and they would, they would literally quote the commercials to us trying to convince us and they say but you have to call in the next 30 minutes it's only 1995 right now you know it, it's amazing like my kids didn't need a snuggie they didn't even know that they that what a snuggie was but the world is really good at giving them a picture of what they think they want and convincing them they need it I mean I, we bought one so they're so impressionable but so are their parents apparently 
No, simple exposure to worldliness plants seeds that we are going to fight their whole lives. Why, why ramp it up? You know, why make it worse? And I mean, I think about every, it's music. You know, I think about how easy, and you say, oh, here we go. Independent Baptist talking about music. No, I mean, telling you, music is, is so influential, we don't realize it. And it, and it kind of bypasses our, our, our logic, it goes straight to our emotion. And suddenly we kind of lower the gate and we're like, well, I like the emotion. I like the way this makes me feel. And before you realize it, man, you're, you're humming those tunes and you're thinking about those lyrics. It's amazing how quickly my kids can memorize songs. I mean, we'll go out to eat or hear something at the store or whatever. They have minds like still traps. You know, and, and, the, and they'll, wa- or they'll watch something and, and a song will be on it. It makes me think, man, I need to be careful what I say around them because they have minds like still traps. They remember all of this. And, and the world is trying to change your children's appetites. Because the world, that's how the, that's how the devil works. I mean, he came to Eve and, and what did he, did he say? Here's something, it, this is not appealing at all. And you're not going to like it at all, but I'm going to tempt you with it. No, he said, look at that fruit. See, Eve didn't even have an appetite for that fruit before Satan pointed it out. But once he come and he, he came and he highlighted it, and it's like, I can just imagine, look at that fruit. And it's like Satan had made the clouds part, and there was a light shining on that one tree right in that moment. And he's like, wow, sure does look pretty. It's southern for pretty, so <laughs> sure does look pretty. She took it. You know, it's creating an appetite that our, our kids don't even know that they, they have. And that we, they wouldn't have it if they weren't seeing the advertisements. We've got to be careful. Reprogramming, here, another point here is reprogramming involves a change of identity. Look at verse 6. It said, now among these were the, of the children of, of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names... For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. Here's, here's the reprogramming. Here's what reprogramming is going to try to do. It's kind of, it, it wants to try to change your identity. So Nebuchadnezzar wanted to change their names. Daniel means God is my judge. And Hananiah means the Lord has been gracious. Mishael means who is like God. Who is like God? Nobody. And then Azariah, the Lord has helped. Those are good, godly names. They point to God. They had names that conveyed that their relationship, they had a relationship to God. And they, their names literally connected them to God. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted to take that away from them. And the, he wanted to name them after false gods. And, and so the, pan, the parallels are striking in that our culture is trying to erase the identity that God has gave, given to our children. Trying to change the definitions of who they are. And they think they can change that, that identity with, with something like a surgery or hormone treatments. And you think, well, that's not anything like this. No, Nebuchadnezzar was trying to change these young men by giving them new names. He was trying to erase who they were and trying to get them to forget any connection to God. And, and it says he was willing to take three years to do this. Because he knew it, it comes with little bits at a time. And, you know, every day you kind of come and you plant more seeds. And you relentlessly come after and, and until eventually somebody just gives in. And so, okay, you know, I, I guess I'm just going to go with the flow here. And that's what's happening in our culture. 
And, and they're trying to just get us to accept it slowly. Changing our identity is not a light switch. It's got to happen slowly over time. Who knew we would ever be here? I don't just mean gender identity. No, the world wants to change our identity in Jesus Christ. It wants to redefine what a Christian looks like. And, and you look at the Bible and you realize, man, there's, and if you're going to be a Christian and you're going to follow Christ, then you say no to yourself and yes to God and you live a holy life that people literally can look at you and say there's something different about them. Amen. That's New Testament Christianity. But now it's been redefined so that when people look at us, uh, the Christianity today is, well, they don't have to just be able to look at me to know that I'm a Christian. I'll live in such a way that it will convince them. No, I mean, just the appearance I, and the way that you speak, the places that you go, the things that you do, all of those should point to Jesus Christ. But we've allowed our culture to redefine what true Christianity looks like. And I'm afraid we're almost too far down the rabbit hole. That Christianity just blends in. And, and listen, but you don't belong to the world. If you're going to reflect somebody in your daily life and in your attitude and in the things that you say and the places that you go and the things that you listen to and the things that you watch and the things that you wear and the people that you're around. Listen, if you're going to reflect Jesus Christ instead of the world, there are some, there's some areas we're going to have to say, you know what, uh, I'm going to have to adjust this because in this area in my life, I reflect the world more than I do Jesus Christ. And I know that's hard preaching. And he came on a Sunday night expecting just to be encouraged. But who defines Christianity for us? Are we going to let the New Testament, the Bible define it? Or are we going to let the culture convince us what we're supposed to look like as, as God's people? Listen, you don't belong to the world. Your identity is with Jesus Christ. And you can't change who you belong to. You're stuck. Therefore, it's, you can't change your identity, but you can be a chameleon. And too many are. We're allowing it to happen far too much. You know, Nebuchadnezzar was trying to take the best of the Jews and make them his, and it's still happening. The world wants the next generation. And it's trying to turn their hearts from Christ. It's trying to separate them from godly influences. And, and, and now, listen, now's not the time to pull away from being strong, committed disciples of Jesus Christ. And now's not the time to pull away from church. Now's not the time to back off of the Bible and back away from truth. No, we ought to be more committed because the culture's trying to reprogram our thinking about God. It's trying to reprogram um, our morality so now's the time to take steps to protect it. If you, I mean, it, listen, and I know I'm not just aiming this at people who send their kids to public schools, but if you send them to public school, make sure you're taking extra steps to help them. Because I'm telling you, the, target, the targeted attack, your children come home and they may not even tell you all that they're dealing with because they might be used to it. And they're just used to maybe desensitized to the attacks that are coming at them every day. And if you're going to send them to school where there are influences like that, then you've got to take extra steps to help them be prepared to protect against it. Yeah. Don't just send them there and back off and say, well, there's the education. It's getting No, get involved. 
If you send them to Christian school or even if you homeschool them, it's just as dangerous if you're an absent parent. God gave you these children. Be their primary influence. The culture's trying to change their appetite. So fight that. Listen, our kids don't need more help in wanting what the world offers them. So why put them in a position for that to be fed and grown and, and, and multiplied in their lives? We ought to do what we can to remove them for those, from those influences. You know, don't let the world be their primary influence through the week. They'll latch on to that. They won't be able to re- release the grip and the king's meat. I'm telling you, the king's meat looks really good. But it doesn't end as well as what God has in plan. The culture is trying to change who we are. They're trying to erase who we've been and they're trying to cancel voices of truth. Now's not the time to back off. Now's the time to step up and boldly claim Jesus Christ. He defines who we are. We belong to him. Embrace who you are in Christ. You know, in a message like this, I think our biggest problem is probably inactivity. And that we just live our lives without any urgency. But I can tell you one thing, the culture is not complacent. The culture is actively working. And by culture, I mean the God of this world. Satan himself is not backing off. Satan doesn't take naps. He's not, he's not backing off just because, you know, uh, you know th- things are looking good and, and, for, you know, and, and he's got a good handle on things. No, he's coming. And I believe he comes after God's people more than anything because he knows if he can turn us, then we won't have influence on others for Jesus Christ. You know, the famous quote goes something like this. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Evil actively is working to overcome the next generation. So to counter that, they need to see serious disciples. Committed to Jesus Christ. Committed to his church. Committed to truth. Committed to holiness. Committed, and I know it's not popular, committed to being separate. Committed to being different. Not because we find our spirituality in those things, but because it's who we are. If we're going to reflect who we belong to, our lives ought to look like Jesus Christ's life would. If we don't counter the cultural revolution that's going on, we're going to find the next generation being a part of it. And it won't be all their fault. It'll be the fault of the generation before them who knew these things were coming but didn't fight to protect them from it. Listen, in the end, we can't make their choices for them. But what I don't want to do is stand before God and have him say, yes, I know you didn't make the choice, but you also made it harder on them because you didn't stand strong. In the face of what the culture was doing. The last thing I want on my conscience is for my children to say, yes, dad, I know that I make my own choices, but you sure made it harder in this area. You sure made it harder in this area. Listen, as stewards, and I believe this, we're stewards of the next generation. Yeah, yes, sir. 
And we have a responsibility to help them. And I know this may be more of a parental message, but I think it's for anybody that's part of a church family, is that we all have a responsibility to help the next generation resist the reprogramming that's coming at them. So how are you going to do that? Let's stand.